everyone and welcome to our second Women in Leadership podcast here at Garden International School. This is a monthly networking series for women to connect, listen, learn and be inspired by a wide range of amazing female role models. In this podcast, I'm talking to Cheryl Joanides. Cheryl is the Managing Director for Estee Lauder in Asia, a role that she commenced in 2018. I actually met Cheryl through our husbands, who are both keen paddleboarders. And when we arrived in KL and my husband reached out to the expat community, Cheryl's husband, Al, responded and took Paul under his wing, got him involved with a local group of paddleboarders. And then from there, during the first lockdown in 2020 that we had here in Malaysia, Cheryl and Al both joined some of my husband's Zoom fitness classes, and Cheryl just happens to be a parent at Garden too. Before Christmas, Cheryl joined us over Zoom for an amazing session about her journey, her life and her career. The feedback that we got after that session was amazing. So I'm really happy and excited to be talking to Cheryl again today. Welcome, Cheryl, how are you today? Hi Nicola, I'm good. We're day two of MCO 2.0, but uh, nice to be seeing you again. Well, Zoom seeing you again. Yes, absolutely. And and it's actually, this is probably going to be, well, definitely going to be the nicest thing that I do today because (laughs) as you just said, we've gone into lockdown 2.0 and we're all having to make really quick adjustments to our private and working lives. So this is a really nice interlude in the rest of what I have to do today. So Thank you for being here today. So, um, so when you joined us on our Zoom session, which as I said, was a brilliant session and the, the ladies that joined us for that absolutely loved hearing about your journey. So I thought we'd start there again today with you just talking a little bit about your professional journey, which is a really interesting story. Okay, well, for those of you who don't know, Estee Lauder Companies, is uh, it's, it's made up of many, many brands. It's... Um, it started, you know, with um, with Mrs. Estee Lauder herself, and we have over forty six thousand employees number uh, worldwide. We're in over one hundred and fifty markets. We ha- we're eighty five percent female, which I'm very very proud of, and fifty five percent female uh, is a VP and above. So I, I'm very lucky to work for this company. But when I joined right in the beginning, um, which is 25 years ago, I literally started at the bottom. I was a temp and, uh, and, and I started and I was getting paid by the hour and uh, just helping out in uh, human resources. And I think my first temptation were to, to actually apply for a permanent job in the company was when they let me in the staff shop and I was literally like a kid in a candy store and I was like oh my god oh my god this look at all these products and I saw there was Clinique there was Origins there was um, Estee Lauder obviously there was um, Aramis and all the designer fragrances there were so many brands on offer and I I remember calling my mom so excited saying mom 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 what would you like what would you like and suddenly I became very very popular Anyway, so then I um, applied for my first job uh, and it was in travel retail department in in London Um, and it was for Clinique and I was the assistant to the regional director at the time and literally I was her PA but I was also doing some marketing and events in the airports and travel retail is really all the um, airport business, the planes and um, obviously um, anything that involves uh, travel around um, and duty free. 
that was duty free. So I was her assistant for two years, but again, making finding new opportunities and creating new events, events that I didn't know were groundbreaking at the time. And um, after doing that for a couple of years, I, I started to do some training of these events that I wanted to do. And, um, and I had the opportunity to move to be a permanent trainer for Estee Lauder brand. Um, and again, in EMEA, so I was traveling across many airports from Europe, from, from um, yeah, many of the European airports to some war zones. I was going to Syria. I was going to Israel. I was going to Turkey. And, uh, and I was training the products. And I was truly loving it. I was very young. And, um, uh, you know, what, what better than to be and to travel the world and, and doing something you loved. And then the opportunity came for them to launch... Um, we were launching Mac in Heathrow, which in the, the time was the first uh, travel retail store in, um, in Europe. And uh, so I, I went to open that store and I literally learned how to run a business. And I was managing the team. I recruited the team. I managed the team. I worked in that store from beginning, from early morning to late at night. And I really learned a lot about retail. And I did that and loved it. Very, very challenging to be in a, a, an airport environment sometimes because it's either full or it's empty. When there's no flights, there's no flights. And then after doing that for a year, I was very lucky to be given an opportunity as one of the GMs came to me at a conference and said, would you like to launch Mac in a new country? And I said, sure, where? And he said, South Africa. I was like, okay. So, and I, offer, I asked Al, who was then my boyfriend, and I said, should we move to South Africa for six months? He was like, sure, let's do it. So at 28 years old, off we went to South Africa, never set foot in the place before, and, um, and, not, and to launch Mac, and I absolutely loved it. And we both loved it, and we ended up staying 10 years. We got married there, our children were both born there, and, uh, and we truly had uh, um, a very interesting, very diverse 10 years. And, uh, and as I said, it wasn't through any particular reason other than when we knew the time was to go, we, we, were, we were ready to go after 10 years. The opera, I saw a job description within the internally, and it was the first time I'd seen something that suddenly got me excited again. And it was still with Mac, but it was back to the airports in travel retail, but this time in Singapore, which meant I would be looking after Asia Pacific. Now, I had obviously felt like I'd seen a lot of Europe and our companies from the US. So I'd been a lot to the US and, you know, and I'd lived in Africa. So suddenly the, the opportunity to move to, um, to Singapore and to see some of Asia Pacific really did excite me. So... I was very lucky to get that role and I moved to Singapore and I, we spent two years and our children were then two and five. Um, we spent two years there and I'm not going to say that was the easiest role in the world. Whilst it was wonderful, it was very, very tough because as a working mom who was flying all over the region with very small children, obviously that came at a certain price. Um, you know, and I did spend uh, a lot of time and it was the beginning of Skype and social media and video, um, video media. So I have to say I was very lucky in that I could sometimes just sit, I'd put the, the laptop on the, on, the, on the sofa and I'd say to my husband, just let me watch the children. <laughs> because, uh, you know, and I would meanwhile be in, I don't know, Korea, Japan, Australia or um, anywhere really across the Asia Pacific region. And then after two years, 
I was very lucky um, in that the, a role came up actually uh, for Mac, um, which I didn't get, which I was very surprised. I've, you know, I've never not achieved anything within the company. But um, in some ways, it was my own fault because I was quite vocal about, you know, not wanting the role or I don't know what I did wrong. But quite honestly, I wasn't the best candidate for the role. Maybe I was too. Um, uh, yeah, I, I'd been doing the, the brand for too many years or whatever the reason was, I wasn't selected. And I was like, wow, I, you know, I truly thought my career was where I wanted it to be. And um, but what funnily, what happened is that there was another role in the UK for Bobby Brown as GM. So I actually took that role instead. I applied for it and um and a bit more humbly this time, should I say, less confidently, because I wasn't sure if it was definitely mine. And um, very, very happily, I, I got the role. And so we all moved back to the UK. Now, this time, the children are five and eight years old. And um, they've never lived, they know they're British kids, they've never lived in the UK before. And um, I took on the role as VPGM for Bobby Brown. And it was a beautiful brand, in, and it still is a beautiful brand in uh, the UK. And we really had a very exciting few years with them. And then three years or four years into the role, and I, again, I was super happy running Bobby Brown, the position of um, VPGM for Joe Malone London came up. And I was like, no, this is a brand I really want to work on. <laughs> you know, I've done skincare brands, I've done makeup brands, but I knew that Joe Malone, it's a very unique, very special brand. It's a fragrance brand, it's a home brand, but it's also a British brand that belongs to the company. So I applied for um, the Joe Malone VPGM, and of course it's the home market, so it was the biggest in the world. And I was delighted to be doing that. And I literally had the most fun three years. I felt like I had the best job in the world. And, and I remember thinking, wow, how lucky am I? I'm running the best brand in the UK. My kids are happy. Everybody's fine. And as life does, when you suddenly think you're all sorted and you're, you know, you're happy and going along, then the um, opportunity came up that somebody put a, 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 a job description in front of me saying, have you thought about this? And I was like, what? And all of a sudden, seeing the role of a managing director or GM in a country that I like Malaysia, that I was suddenly got all excited again and thought, I'm, should I go for it? Should I not go for it? And I thought, and I spoke to the children and my husband was like, yep, if you want to do it, let's do it. And I spoke, we took them for dinner and I said, mom's got an opportunity, but, you know, before I go for it, I need to know if you're both you know, ready to do this. Now, again, at this stage, Ella was 11 and Jack was 14. And I said, you know, but we've got to move the other side of the world. I'm going to be traveling. I'm going to be, um, you know, I'm going to have to work very, very hard. I might not be as round as much. What do you think? And they both of them immediately said, Let's do it. We don't get this opportunity often. So, and the rest is history. So, and luckily I got the role. So uh, I didn't disappoint them because obviously they were, once they thought about it, they were like, well, let's go now. I was like, no, no, it doesn't happen that quickly. And so we moved here in October, 2018. 
And um, yeah, absolutely love it. So here I am as my first GM role of uh, of the. Uh, so I'm actually in what was always my boss's job. You know, I always worked for one of the brands, reporting to uh, the GM. And uh, so now, um, yeah, obviously it's uh, 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 and in this part of a Southeast Asia region, but part of the bigger Asia Pacific region. And um, but I'm loving it. Good. And it's your story is. It, you sat, you're so excited when you, you talk about your story. And I think that's partly why it's inspirational to hear your story. And you talk, you mention a lot of, of um, you know, so it just came up and, and I just went for it. And, and then the opportunity that you went for that you didn't get. And, and you know, you're, you're reflective on the fact that um, actually perhaps it wasn't meant to be. And it led on to something else that actually was probably better and, yeah. and has led you somewhere else. And I think it's, it's really nice to reflect on the fact that and you, 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 I don't know if, you, if you're aware of this, but you come across as being very brave, very daring, you're kind of up for a challenge and you, you seem to have, have, and I know, you know, from my own um, choices in my professional life, every single one of those decisions, it actually takes a lot of energy and time and it does impact your family. But you, you seem to have been very brave and very kind of, let's just go for it in the choices that you've made. Yeah, I, I, suppose I, I don't even I don't even think of myself as being particularly brave, um, <laughs> and I really don't. So maybe I'm just uh, I, I just I, I maybe I crave excitement more than and change. And I do love change. I have to say, and, and maybe that is what actually stood in my my favor all this way because the world's changed so fast, and I'm good with that. But what I'm not good with is when I'm working from home, looking at the same screen, looking at the same window. And there's not much. We'll get on to that discussion. But yeah, that's, it's interesting to, to just to, to hear that, you know, how you've thrived in all those different roles where you've changed. You touched on talking about um, being a working mum and the impact that that has on all of us when we are working mums and the things that we have to do and the adjustments we have to make. So you know, and, I'm, and you are a fantastic role model to your children. There's no two ways about it. But obviously you touched on the, the sacrifices potentially that you, you had to make along the way. So, so you, can you go into a little bit more detail about, you know, how it affected your professional journey being a working woman and how you managed that along the way? Well, I think, firstly, I think I'm really lucky in that I work, and as I said, in a women's company that it was, was created by a woman, a woman for women. And so there's always an incredible support and understanding of women and, and, and mothers and how um, and the lives that we have to juggle. So I, you know, and I've never compromised in terms of saying uh, or pretending, you know, I don't have a second life. And I've always tried to integrate that as much as possible and integrate the children into my life and involve them where possible so that I'm not doing this mystery role that, you know, because many children, you ask them what their parents do and they're not quite sure, actually. And they'll be like, oh, my dad's in finance. Uh, whereas my children are very, very aware of what I do. <laughs> um, but I think so. I've never apologised for that. And it's always been part of my being, you know, I... Um, Firstly, as uh, and as a mom, of course, I've had to make a lot of compromises, and sometimes I've had to make decisions to not be present at something, um, you know. But it's it's picking and choosing those events. Um, you know, I'd much rather be at a parent-teacher conference than I would uh, uh, um, than say. Uh, 
um, you know, sports day, but sometimes you'll flip it and you'll do sports day and you won't do And it's what you can physically do and what you can't. But now what I have found, you know, in today's environment, it's much easier because now with flexible working, I can say I'm going to attend that conference. I'm going to, and, and certainly, and I said this to you, I'm so thankful for all the all the parent-teacher meetings are now on Zoom because I don't have to spend an hour getting to them, waiting for some parent to take too long, um, you know, standing in a queue, and it all takes. So the processes are much much more um, odious than it is than actually a quick log on, spend time with each teacher, and I can carve that out of my day. And then log back on and carry on working later. So I think, you know, I said those are the things I really want to keep since <laughs> going back to physical uh, meetings. Um, but, you know, I think it, often I, I, I don't, as I said, don't compromise for being a mom um, and I don't apologize for it ever. Um, I just think it's really important that I yeah, sometimes explain to them, I cannot do this, but I'm going to do this. And, uh, and yeah, that sometimes it's not without pain, not being able to attend everything. But, um, you know, but as I said, through social media, you know, there's a video, there's a, uh, there's always something for you to feel like you've seen it or you've participated. It's not like in uh, the old days, you didn't get a picture, you missed out, you wouldn't even know what happened. And I remember when we did the Zoom session, I remember you very clearly saying to, to our women who were there in the session, you can do it. You might think that you can't do it. You might think that you can't manage it, but you can. So, so take that job, go for that promotion because yeah. you'll find a way, you'll find a way of managing it. And I loved that message, especially for some of our, you know, our younger um, people that are in the profession who are, are kind of making those choices with young children. Yeah. And I think what I, and one of my points is that, you know, men, and it was men and, and psychologists for any men that are listening now, um, I, they tend to put themselves forward only being 50% ready. Whereas a woman, we tend to think we need to have 80 to 90% ready to go for it before we would ever consider putting our names forward. But uh, so we just need to believe in ourselves a bit more and maybe just think, okay, you know what? I, I will work it. I will work it out. And yeah, and I, and I said one of my, I do fake it till you make it. And there has been a certain element. And every single role I've taken for the first year, to an extent, you're faking it because you you don't understand everything that's going on. You need to understand the 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 people, the dynamics, the market, the whatever your role is. You need to understand the full role. And and you can't even fully own a strategy until you're immersed into it and you really understand uh, the full dynamics of your role so I think there's a lot of faking it and um, and then and then I think after a year it's almost like having a baby suddenly you're like aha this yeah. is what it is. this is what I have to do <laughs> okay there was no instruction manual but kind of I know now what it is what this means and it's the same with any new role every job I've done I've kind of thought what on earth have I done why am I doing this and it's so overwhelming and then suddenly it clicks into place yeah, and it, it's really nice to hear you say that. And, you know, again, for people that are listening, because I've certainly always felt like that as well in every new role that I've come into. And, you know, people expect you to have all the answers and you absolutely don't. And and you do have that sense of, oh, my goodness, you know, it, and we call it imposter syndrome. You know, I shouldn't be doing this job. I'm not good enough. What have I done? And then after a year, you know, and, and a year and a half, it, it's fine. <laughs> and it all kind of, and you, and you get the hang of it. 
but by the same time, we have to continually strive to be better. And also, you know, we call it a, it's a Kaizen approach to literally trying to be better and, and trying to do things, improve every single time. And, um, and that's something that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm trying to set myself goals this, this year to do LinkedIn learning courses more frequently, to constantly be improving um, versus staying, staying, uh, you know, staying static. Because I think, especially in the last year, when we've experienced so much less, in fact, in some ways, so much more, because we've had a whole new year of learning different, uh, a different way of living and different way of being, and being in a pandemic, which God forbid, no one ever wants to go through again. But you know, with the lack of travel, with the lack of meeting new people, with the lack of, you know, it's certainly, that shrunk quite dramatically. So you have to look elsewhere for inspiration and learning. Yeah, absolutely. So that leads us on quite nicely to um, some questions that I wanted to ask you about the pandemic. So inevitably, um, you know, the pandemic's affected your business and you've had to respond to that. And we were talking a little bit before we started recording about, you know, how it's, it's become more challenging to be strategic because we have to, we have to be reactive, but also we do need to still keep an eye on strategy. So, so how has it affected the business, and how are you, how are you managing that? Oh, you know, I mean, it's been, it's been truly, truly. Uh, uh, I mean, I, I say the word unprecedented. It's been completely overused this word, beer, but you know, we could never have predicted it. So we've had to be more agile. Uh, than than ever and we've always you talked about agility unfortunately everybody has been impacted by the pandemic uh, in Malaysia and globally but the one thing my role as a leader has changed quite dramatically in that um, I have had to communicate communicate and communicate some more we have to be very strong in our decision making um, so that, you know, there is no ambiguity for people to understand, do we open, do we close, do, am I going in, what do I do, you know, lots of processes um, and, and, new, and new protocols that we never had to really think about before. Um, you know, crisis management committee was something I'd heard about and I'd never actually attended one and suddenly I'm having them daily. And, um, and crisis management is really a, 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 the, the what is required is a certain open mindedness, but, you know, the flexibility to be able to say, OK, whilst unfortunately we made this decision yesterday, today we have to make this decision because yes. something's changed. Yes. So, um, you know, we're constantly constantly changing and um but we so you know my role has been something that you know i've been reflecting on the the role of a general manager and thinking well you know what i was doing was very much you know leading and delivering numbers delivering the the strategy and uh, reporting back and developing my team etc you know that role has now i'm still doing all of those things but I now have to do it with a lot more, should I say, um, with a lot more empathy because everyone's situation is so different. Some people are at home on their own. 
And, you know, there's a risk to mental health there. Some people are taking care of elderly parents. Some people have got children who are home learning and they have to, they're responsible for their home learning, you know, and suddenly from having two working parents to, um, and children safely at school to their children being at school and and they're responsible to help them learn. I mean, I take my hats off to you teachers because I am so impressed with it. There's a reason I'm not a teacher, put it that way. And I'm also very grateful that my children are of the age that they don't need actually that much guidance and they get on with it. Um, But, you know, it's been a very, very interesting year. And I say we we now have to take on role as, um, you know, psychiatrist, the role of um, entertainer, the role of um, coach, the role of, you know, all of those things that we were doing before, but and some, because um, that, that you also need to be way more accessible. And, uh, you know, and I certainly don't want to be, and I know I talked to you about this before, I'm non-hierarchical, but I need to know that anybody can reach out to me, um, you know, at whatever level in the organisation. Yeah, and and, yeah, you're absolutely, everything you said there about, you know, the, the communication, and I think because we're not physically connected, having, you know, making sure that we are connected, that we are still connecting with our teams, as human beings, you know, not just as people that we work with, that and, and having that understanding and that empathy for everybody's different situation. Yes, I mean, I've certainly felt that in my role as well. And you talked, you just referenced there about being non-hierarchical, which again leads me on to um, the last thing that I wanted to talk to you about. When you when you came to do your session for us, you you talked about your guiding principles, and um, which was really powerful. So I just wanted to ask you a little bit again about some of those guiding principles that you that you that you use as a leader in your role. Okay, well, I've got a few, but one of them, uh, you know, which we were just talking about, is servant leadership. Yeah, and and really is that. And if anyone wants to look at my LinkedIn profile, I literally just did a, a quick refresher on it last week. Um, and, and really servant leadership is about flipping the, the pyramid and putting the people, I'm putting myself at the bottom, basically. And not having a, you know, it's not about what I can achieve and me, I'm your, your manager, I'm your leader. It's not about that. It's about we and about, um, and about us all achieving it collectively and, uh, and what we are trying to achieve as, uh, as a team. And, um, and there's a few points on this, uh, uh, on, on servant leadership that I think touches into us basically trying to be more generous as leaders than, than being, as I said, self-serving. So we want to help your people. You want to help your team to win. And, um, and there's a number of ways of doing that. Um, but I think it's really about not trying to trick people and not trying to catch people uh, to, to, to trip them up. It's, it's wanting them to be better people. And for me, that's one of my, um, uh, one of my motivations, or should I say, as a leader, is when my team grow and they get become promoted or they're successful, then that, that, does, that makes me successful by default, but that's not what I'm looking for. It's really great to see that happen. So it's trying to help people on their journey so that they can also um, thrive and, um, and feel fulfilled by their roles. So I, I very much believe in servant leadership. Um, one of my other 
Uh, yeah, I, I want a guiding principle is always trying to be positive, even during terrible times. Uh, I, 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 yeah, positive things happen to positive people. Um, so, and I think sometimes you can get pulled into a lot of negativity. And, you know, I was talking to one of my team about this yesterday and I said, you have to take action on that by putting yourself away from those people. If you know that there's somebody that's going to want to talk about doom and gloom and, and, and what's not right, then don't contact them. You do yourself a favor. We're adults. We get to make the decision yes. of who, you know, because we all have those people in our lives that we feel, you know, that they're not a positive impact. So, so cut them out. They're fine. Um, I think striving for work-life harmonization. I've talked about it. You know, uh, have I have I hit their nail on it? No. But, you know, what I do do is I make time, like you said, with Paul to do his classes. I go running. I grab a bit of time for me to go, you know, and uh, the odd foot massage is always great. But, <laughs> um, um, but so, you know, the uh, just trying to make sure that I have some time for my mental health and which is, you know, uh, that's why I'm saying uh, running is good for my mental health. And sometimes I yeah, still have to force myself to do that. Um, Having a mentor, I have many mentors. Um, many of them are secret, i.e. they don't know they're my mentor. Um, but they're people who I follow. And you can do that now via social media. You can do that via um, uh, just, yeah, you can see what people are up to and, and, and you can learn from them. Or there's many, many groups to follow. And as I said, TED Talks, LinkedIn Learning, there's a lot to, uh, to learn. Um, what else? Yeah, be authentic. I, I, you know, I'm not, I don't claim to be brilliant. There's lots of things I don't do well. And often, you know, when I say that quite openly to my team, I don't have all the answers, which is why I have a collaborative approach to many meetings, because I want to get their expertise, their experience and their opinion and their input. Um, versus me making all the decisions on this is what I've decided and this is how it is. Um, but I'm always me, um, as I said, but, you know, be authentic, but fake it, if, <laughs> fake it till you make it in a certain way. <laughs> Grin and bear it, but, uh, but you know, don't, don't, don't lie about it, yeah. Um, I always try and give back, try and do good. If, if I can't be good, I try and do good. <laughs> Um, you know, obviously there is, we're very, very fortunate. So um, I think, you know, giving back is always very, very important. Um, uh, I'm saying be bold, giving, giving chances and empower other women and girls. And it's something um, I believe in wholeheartedly is, um, you know, and if anybody reaches out to me, I'll always do my best to, to, to try and point them in the right direction or uh, give them an opportunity. Because often, as I said, many girls, we, we, we hold back versus put ourselves forward. And I think because I've been lucky that my parents did instill a confidence in me to believe that I can do it. So just do it, just go forward and do it. And that's what I'm trying to do for, for, for my kids now, whether, I don't know, whether it's working or not. Um, 
And yeah, and my last one, I think, is about living, loving, working and laughing hard. Uh, because if you can't do that, then uh, it's all not worth it. And uh, sometimes I laugh at the wrong times, but uh, it really is just basically striking a balance between sometimes saying, OK, I'm going to step away and not do that. Or, um, But, you know, working very, very hard, you know, don't expect something for nothing. Um, you know, and then I, I think I ended with the Mrs. Estee Lauder quote, which I absolutely adore because she and it was something I remember from my very first training um, when Mrs. Estee Lauder was still alive. And she said, I never dreamed of success. I worked for it. And it was something that, you know, I never dreamed of success. And, you know, in some ways, I think. And it's only when I talk about my career, I think, oh, my God, that's such you really quite. Uh, it, it is. It's, uh, it, it humbles me a little bit, but, um, but I have worked hard. So, you know, no doubt about it. I have worked very, very, very hard. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of my, my guiding principles. That's amazing, Cheryl. Thank you. And, you, you know, you are incredibly humble. I, I, you, I, I, you know, I've said this to other ladies who were in the session. You're inspirational. And one of the most brilliant things about you is that you are humble about the amazing success that you've had. And then when you, when you describe your guiding principles, you know, it's clear why you have that, that success and it's, it's fantastic and this has been amazing um, I knew that this I knew that I would enjoy this and I really have enjoyed it it's been such a pleasure to talk to you even though I've heard some of these things before it's been a pleasure to hear them again and to explore these, these things with you and listen to your journey you know and it's, it's, it is truly inspirational I know that the people listening will be inspired by your journey and everything that you've said today and hopefully you'll be able to take something away from, from the things that you've described and your guiding principles and your approach to being a working mom. So thank you so, so much for joining us today. Where We're going to leave it there. Hope your uh, day goes well. And I hope everybody that you've enjoyed listening to this podcast today. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Nicola. That was great. And I really hope that we actually get to meet and, and have a, yeah, a lunch with a glass of something yeah. would be great. <laughs> Thanks, Cheryl. <laughs>